Welcome to the Mary Shannon Bible Study with speaker, leader, and acclaimed Bible teacher, Mary Shannon. Every week, she'll dive deep into scripture using her unique blend of laugh out loud humor and hitting you between the eyes truth that we all need. So put on your big girl pants because here we go. So last week, uh, it's interesting, this, this last week, I've had the opportunity to share parts of what we've been studying just in conversation with people. And it's been so much fun. And uh, saying, you know, when they were talking to me about their lives, I would say, have you ever read John chapter 11? And they would go, I don't know, what's John chapter 11? I said, you know, Lazarus. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I go, do you understand how many whys are in there? Like, really and truly, every person there in that chapter was asking, why? Why? What's going on? Why are we doing that? Why weren't you here? Why are we going back to Judea? Have you forgotten they wanted to kill us? And I said, isn't it interesting that at one point, if you're reading that chapter, now remember last week I told you, we don't know what's coming. Wipe it out of your brain. We do not know the end. We have to read it like we do not know the end if we're gonna get ourselves in their place. And so in their place was a lot of question because they were hearing and feeling things that did not make sense compared to what they know. Have you ever been there? Uh, Have you, so for example, when he says he loved them, so he waited two more days. It doesn't say he loved them, but he waited two more days. It doesn't say he loved them, yet he waited two more days. It says he loved them, so. That means the delay was actually motivated by his love. I bet Mary and Martha didn't feel like that, right? Because they're over there losing their brother. They're over there in panic and grief and deep anxiety. But it says, so he waited two more days. We can relate in some ways as parents because there are times that we do not give our children what it is they desire and want so much because we know that the outcome of that will be for their good. But boy, they don't feel like it. Have you ever been in that situation? Well, if you loved me, you would let me or you would give me or, you know, whatever it is. Or, you know, sometimes it's the same with discipline, right? I don't know if y'all spanked. I spanked. I needed to, dear Lord. And... um, you know, you're spanking them and they, they sure don't feel like you love them at that moment, right? But when they're hopefully an adult, they will look back and realize that was a good thing. But at the moment, we know the end. They did not know the end. At the moment, this so he stayed for two more days did not feel very loving. And then you have the questions of uh, the disciples. What in the world? You said he wasn't going to die. We thought we dodged a bullet two days ago. Now? Now you want to go back to Judea? Why? Well, because he's asleep and we need to go and I need to wake him up. Sleeping's good. He's been ill. When you're ill, you need to sleep. You need to rest. No, he's dead. What? Wait a minute. You said that this illness would not end in death, that... God would be glorified and the son would be glorified through it. Now you're telling us he's dead? And so now, two days later, we're going back to Judea, right? And Thomas says, yeah, let me tell you who's going to be dead. Us. (laughs) We're all going to die. Let's just go with him because we're all going to die together. I mean, this is making no sense to them whatsoever. So at the end of last week, we really had a lot of uncomfortable feeling because in this instance, we have a beautiful story that's gonna be tied up with a miraculous ending and we're gonna get to talk about it. But in truth, how about our life? Is our life so quick one chapter? No, they stayed in this dissonance, but for some days. How long have you stayed in yours sometimes? Longer. But I'm so glad this story is here because in a little while, I'm gonna tell you, it's one of the best movie trailers I've ever seen. That's what it is. Okay, do you love trailers, movie trailers? Sometimes they're so good, you don't even need to spend the money to go see the movie, right? It's got all the good parts in it. 
Uh, this has a lot of good parts in it, this movie trailer. And so uh, I think I'm going to start by reading um, in verse 33. Let's just, let's finish, let's read out um, at least through the resurrection, and then we'll continue. I'll go back and we'll talk about it. Let me find 33. I'll just start at 32 because that's what I found. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews that had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? I'm going to pause right there a little bit. Um, it says that Jesus was deeply moved. Um, don't forget last week our point of how different people grieve and go through suffering differently, right? Mary and Martha were very different people, but they were both hurting. And I love the fact that Jesus loved every single one of them in this situation. And uh, he loved them in their own uniqueness and in their own story. Um, and I thought it was so interesting to kind of look at them as people. But now it says that in all of this scene, that Jesus is deeply moved and greatly troubled. Let me see if I can say this Greek word that is for deeply moved. It's, it's embry. It's embryomi, I think. Some, it's something close to that. You know, I'm not good at that. It's E-M, if you're taking notes, E-M-B-R-I-M-A-O-M-A-I. Embryomi describes the snort of a horse in war or in a race. Okay, let me say that again so you can write that down describes the snort of a horse in war or in a race. For humans, it describes outrage, fury, and anger. Fury at the deepest level. What is he furious or angry about? He's not furious and angry at Mary or Martha or the crowd, right? Um, and by the way, Jesus fully recognizes and understands the victory of the grave for those who love him. He sees it in true reality. Do you understand that? He sees death incredibly different than we see it. He sees the true reality of it, that actually for those that love him, it is a great victory. Death is not the victor. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Okay, so that is not, uh, he's not sad about the separation. He's not, um, he's definitely not, angry at Mary and Martha and the crowd um, because the fact is he says to her, what? I am currently, I am the resurrection and the life. He is going to show her what he is capable of in the end by doing it right now, by showing them that after four days, and we're gonna talk about that again, he literally raises someone for the dead. Yet, his eyes are seeing the devastation death brings to humanity, the deep sorrow that comes with separation. I wrote in my notes, he can hold Zachary and he can hurt with me all at the same time. He has fully embraced his humanity to have empathy with the people around him. That is for sure. He feels their pain. He, what does the Bible say? Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Jesus was the great high priest. Scripture says that he is acquainted with all of our weaknesses. He understands. So there is an element, yes, of the understanding of the grief that he is seeing and the fact that in his humanity, he is close to the brokenhearted and he is moved by them, but there's something more. There is an outrage, and I believe it is an outrage at death itself. It is an outrage at sin and death. I want you to know the difference between the words weeping. When it says that she was weeping, it literally means to weep aloud, 
It is an audible grief. I remember um, when I taught at Phoenix Christian High School years and years and years ago, um, it was in my early days. I might have just been a substitute then, I can't remember. But there was a family who had lost a son to suicide. He was a pastor, and um, I, was, I was very close with the youngest son. And um, the sad thing is, is that six months later, that youngest son committed suicide as well because he could not get over the death of his brother. And I just remember being devastated by that and being called to come to that funeral. And that youngest son was one of my favorites. He's the cutest son you've ever seen in your life. And he had a Southern accent. So everybody thought, you know, oh, he, he belongs with Hoffpower. And so we were really close. And I'll never forget being at that funeral in case young people wanted to talk to me. And I was walking out. When I walked out, I left my purse. And when I went back to get it, the father was laying over the casket and the sounds that were coming out of him, I had never heard. I never fully would have imagined that those same sounds would come out of me. So when I think about audible grieving, ugh, that is a horrible sound. And that is what it means when it says that she was weeping. It was audible, it was guttural, and not only her, but there were her friends around and professional mourners because they took grieving seriously in, in uh, the Jewish culture. They actually did that for seven days, this audible grieving, because the louder the grief, the greater the love. And so, but with Jesus, the word doesn't mean audible grieving. It literally just means tears. So it's, it's like tears flowing out. So you have this picture of this anger of uh, this just the snort of a horse. Have you ever gotten so mad and just the whole thing, so much emotion, you just couldn't put it into words and it just came out in tears? That's how I, that's how I see it. Jesus' tears are not for Lazarus, whose removal from the grave is imminent and whose life is gonna show God's glory. He knows what good surprises he has in store for his good friend. Jesus' tears should be connected to the anger he is feeling so deeply. The public chaos surrounding him, the loud wailing and crying, the scene of a cemetery and its reminders of death, all a result of sin and death together produce outrage in the Son of God as he works to reverse the damage. Lots of emotion. He's not angry at them. He's angry at death and the devastation that it causes. He feels it. He feels it all. It's interesting in some of my feeling and all of what's happened in my life to watch my friends feel it. And I've had so many friends just come undone almost just with sorrow and their own anger for me. So we can feel alongside other people. Um, I've had friends that just go livid where they're like, what else, Lord? What else can she take? What in the world? Like when my generators got stolen, it was like the straw, right? Like what in the world? But the difference is my friends can feel all that anger. They can't do anything about it. But boy, Jesus could. And actually that's what he came to do. So he is there feeling the anger of what sin and death has caused. And he's feeling the pain of the separation it causes on those he loves, but I'm gonna tell you what, he knows this is exactly what I came to fix because he's able to. Do you find it interesting that when it says Jesus wept, we get two different perspectives right there? That they see the same thing. He's weeping, he's crying, his tears are coming down. They're like, see, he loved him. And then the other group says what? Well, if he could heal the blind, why didn't he show up and heal his friend? Isn't it interesting when you think about that? At first, you wonder, oh, those are just always the naysayers. And maybe, I think it is about our mindset. But did you catch the fact that they are basically saying the same thing that Mary and Martha said? If he had been here. It makes you wonder if actually they're the ones that are the 
closest to Mary and Martha because they're feeling that anger and pain. Well, if he loved him so much, then why wasn't he here? Because I've been watching my friend agonize for the past three days, and where the heck has he been? right? And the others are like, oh, he just loves him. The bottom line is this. We can see the same event walk away with two completely different motivations and perspectives. That's one angle. The other angle is do what you think is right and live your life because everybody's going to create a motive and there's nothing you can do about it. Isn't that the truth? I mean, if they can do this to the son of God, what makes you think that they won't do it to us? everybody's gonna come at it with their perspective. So do we have to care about our reputation and the things we do? Yes, because we wanna honor God. But we can't be paralyzed by it, thinking because you can do everything you think is right and someone will create some reason that it's wrong. And so I just think that is an interesting perspective that depending on their mindset and their heart and how they're coming into it, they see things the same thing completely different. And they go, so it goes on to say, let me see what else I want to tell you about that. Okay, read starting 38. Here we go. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. In the King James, does anybody have King James? Does it say he stinketh? I think that's so funny. (laughs) Lord, he stinketh. For he had been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Some might say, come forth. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. (laughs) I don't remember if I told y'all this last week. I know I did by Wednesday, and then I was teaching on Wednesday, and I'm like, I don't even know if I told them that on Tuesday morning. But you do remember uh, what they thought about a person dying. The Jewish people thought that the spirit hovered over the body for three days. Did I tell you this last week? Oh, I'm so glad I came back to it. So they believed that the spirit of the body hovered over the body for three days, trying to get back in. I know. Uh, So there could be, it wouldn't be resurrection, it would be resuscitation, okay? But by the fourth day, the body would start to decompose. At that point, there's no going back. So Jesus waited how many days? Four days. And we know the body would be decomposing because she said what? He stinketh. All right, so that's very important. They, because Jewish people did not embalm their dead bodies, they buried them the day they died. And they would put them, if they had the money, they would put them in a cave that had been carved out with places to stand, to to gather, but then inside there would be ledges and they would lay the bodies on the ledges And as they would decompose over a year, year and a half, when that was done, they would go back and they would take the bones and they would put it in what's called a bone box or an ossuary. You see them all over Israel. If you're there, if you ever go with me, we'll point them out. They're everywhere. You can tell the... um, basically the size of the person based on the ossuary because the ossuary is as big as the largest bone in the body. So if you see little ones, then you know it was a child. And so that's how they did it. And they would roll the stone over, right, to keep the smell out, though, to keep animals out. And it was a big stone, and it would roll in this, this basically kind of like a closet door. You know, there would be something honed out on the bottom, this place, so it could, but it took a lot of people. They were heavy, so it would have taken people and tools to be able to open this. And so he is telling her, um, Roll the stone away. (laughs) 
And she's like, what? And then he says, I told you, you know, if you believe in me, you'll see the glory of God. Now, do you think for one minute she thought he was about to raise Lazarus? She has great faith, but there's limits to her faith. He's decomposing. She doesn't think he's going to raise him from the dead. So I sat back and I thought, well, what does she think he's going to do? Well, to me, the thing she thinks is he needs closure. He wasn't there. He wasn't there when he died, and he wants, no matter the stinketh or not, he wants to see his friend. I can understand that. I won't go into it. It is the worst possible thing and the needed thing in the world to see your loved one that is not there, but yet you need to see it because you need closure. My mom and I, the other day, were talking about how back in the old days, we're from Arkansas, and, um, and when she grew up in this little town, they didn't have a mortuary. So guess where the bodies went? To the house. And I was like, Mom, that's horrible. She goes, we didn't think anything of it. That's just how it was. The bodies would come back to the homes, and people would come to view, and they would tell stories. And she said, you know something else kind of crazy? She said guests would come and sit with the body overnight. And I'd be like, well, where was it going? Like, why, why in the world did the body need to be babysat in the house? And now, but I, I understand it. Because they're, they did it so that the family could rest. Because I'm gonna tell you, there is something to that. Knowing that Zachary, even his body, his precious body, was somewhere. I wanted it to be taken care of. You want it, you wanted it handled correctly. And I had the best friend that did that, um, her mortuary. And so, that, so I get it. But what I'm telling you is in all of this, the emotions, the superstitions, the things we say, things you hear at funerals even today, oh, so-and-so's gone to be with the Lord. He's an angel now. No, he's not. Okay, but we have all kinds of things that happen around death. And so, you know what? Maybe she was thinking he needed closure. He needs to see the body, but no, right? Uh, the other thing I was thinking that, and this was really important to me, was why in the world did he have them roll the stone away? I mean, it would have been, talking about movie trailer, it would have been much more theatrical for him to roll the stone away. I mean, something's coming. It would, and we know he can. How do we know he can? Because he rolled his own stone away. That's why. But why did he make them roll the stone away? I don't know. I sat there and thought about it. Here were some of my questions. Was it a demonstration of trust that they obeyed what he asked? I know one thing. It was a risk of embarrassment because of the smell. Vulnerability. How about participation in their own miracle? Here's my journal entry. This was personal, but I'm going to let you have it. I wrote, parts of me are dead. Ooh. And I have a really big stone. Well, I thought I was going to be personal. Hold on. But I have a really big stone rolled over those places. They're hidden deep inside where no one can see. It's amazing. Jesus doesn't force his way in. He asks us to roll the stone away, to risk letting out the stench, to be vulnerable to participate in our own miracle, only then can he truly begin to do resurrection work. Why is it that like Mary and Martha, or Martha, that I trust him with the end of the story? Oh, I know on the last day he will rise, you know. Why is it that I trust him for the end of the story? But I'm not so sure if I trust him for the now. I cannot comprehend or fathom what he is doing or what he has in store. Yet through all of that, I still believe him through my lack. They stayed in their distant dissonance just a few days before they experienced the resurrection, the great victory, the true end of this story, but we don't. We are still in times when our emotions aren't telling us Jesus cares about us or our circumstances seem hopeless. Well, let's just go with him and die. 
But like Martha, even when I don't understand why or what he's doing, I still believe he is who he is. I find myself sometimes mad at the one that all my hope is in. Well, rolling the stone away was not an easy task for sure. And I cannot imagine the scene. Stop and think about it. What is the crowd thinking? What in the world is going on? He is rolling the stone away. And I cannot imagine what they're thinking when the smell hits. If you've ever smelled it, you'll never forget it. Decomposing flash. This is not a great scene. It's a, it's a scary scene. And then it says that Jesus prayed out loud. Why? Did he pray out loud so that God could hear him? No, because what does he say? Father, you always hear me. I know you do. But I'm doing this for who? For them, so that they can hear it. And then it says that he cried out in a loud voice. So um, have I read that yet? Did I read? I did read the scene, right? 38 through. Okay, good. So he cried out, he cried out with a loud voice. Why did he cry out with a loud voice? Why didn't he just say it normal? Because this is a powerful event that I think deserves a powerful voice. And I'm going to tell you another thing. Uh, sorcerers and mediums, when they did things, they whispered. They murmured. I've been watching a series I probably shouldn't be watching, but it's called The Witcher. I don't know if y'all have seen it, but it's like, it's like a Lord of the Rings. If you've ever seen Lord of the Rings, it's that kind of thing. Okay. And I started thinking about this when I, I was talking about this, because I was like, every time you see what they call magis, okay, people of magic, and they were doing something, they would sit and it would be under their breath murmuring. And this is what mediums, people in witchcraft, because they're calling on an outside source of power to do something. They're conjuring it up. Let me tell you right now, Jesus Christ didn't have to conjure it up. He is the power. It was his voice and his authority, and he made that known. And I, I mean, that is awesome. There was authority in his voice. And matter of fact, we're gonna hear that voice one day. First Thessalonians chapter four says he's gonna come and cry out. And through the voice of an archangel, and at that point, the dead in Christ will rise, and those who are here on the earth will go up together and meet him in the air. It is a powerful thing. Then I got tickled, and I thought, hmm, why didn't he just say, are y'all worried about my brain? <laughs> why didn't he just say, come forth? Why does he say, Lazarus, come forth? Well, praise God, he's in a cemetery. If he had said, come forth, the whole... Everybody in the graves would have gotten up and come for. What in the world? He, listen, he had to be specific, okay? This was a movie trailer. This is telling us the exciting things that are to come. It wasn't time for all the dead in Christ to rise up. I mean, he said, Lazarus, come forth. I got so tickled. I thought, can you imagine? But one day I'm going to tell you what. He is going to shout, come forth, and the graves of those who know Jesus are going to be emptied, and that is awesome. Do you understand that in this story, it is a beautiful picture of salvation? All right? We are born dead. Dead. Y'all, dead is dead. You cannot work hard to be undead. You're not capable. Something has to happen outside of you. And that something is God in his grace speaking and quickening your heart so that you can see, so that you can live. And so it's a beautiful picture of salvation. But I'm going to tell you what, it is not only that, it is one of the best movie trailers known to man, previews of coming attractions, how the story will end. We are in Christ now. We have true spiritual life now, but what is coming? Some big things are coming because what Jesus did for Lazarus that day, he's gonna do for you. He's gonna say, come forth. And those in the graves will come forth, that body, and then they will be given a glorified body. I'm glad they're coming forth in that body, that identifiable body of who they are. 
to then be glorified, receive whatever that glorified body is. And then those of us who are still here will meet him in the air. Death does not have the final word. Write that down in your notes. Death does not have the final word. Jesus does. And he is going to say, come forth. I also love that it says that when he came out, Jesus says to them, unbind him and let him go. So many things came to my mind about this. It seems like Jesus is always unbinding things. Have you ever realized that? He's always unbinding, it seems, when you meet him. He's unbinding people from infirmities. He's unbinding people from man-made traditions. He's unbinding people from guilt and shame. He's unbinding them from living a life of obligation and training them to live a life of relationship and love. The cross is going to unbind us or did for us, but will for them, unbind us from the penalty of the law, unbind us from sin and death. The resurrection is gonna unbind us from this flesh, this sinful flesh that we drag around. It's a story of freedom. We were born in freedom. We messed it up. We thought we would be free and we bought a lie and we ended up in chains. And Jesus came so that we might be free. And guess what? We live that now. Although we have this sinful flesh, we have a new nature, the power of the resurrected Christ in us, and we are no longer slaves to sin. We're slaves to him. It's beautiful. I don't think Lazarus came out. He said, unbind him. I don't think they went and reintroduced him to the law. Right, I don't think that he, I don't think he uh, walked out alive and remained bound. I believe he obeyed out of love, not obligation. He followed Jesus from a place of relationship and love. He lived to love the one who had raised him to life. Do you understand? That's how it works. It will never work based on rules and laws and all of that. It won't. You can teach them till the Lord comes. It won't. What has to happen? They have to meet him. They have to meet him. It is my job to draw people to Jesus, to have a relationship with Jesus so that they can get to know him on a personal level and that their life is changed by his love, not fear of an obligation. It won't work. You can name me whatever lifestyle there is. I'm not gonna fully address it with them. I'm going to tell them about the love of Jesus and I'm gonna draw them into that relationship and I'm gonna let the Holy Spirit figure out the rest. Can we have conversation about it? Yes. Will it change their life? No, he will. He will change it from the inside out. And Lord, he needs to change some of mine. What about yours? Y'all perfect? You're just precious? I already told you today I hated people. I was in a bad mood and I got all kinds of stuff going on, right? We all need it. He came out and he said, free him, unbind him. It goes on to say, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Do you wanna know what word there blows my mind? Many. Really? Many believed in him? You're like, well, why does that blow your mind? I'm gonna tell you why. It shouldn't say many, it should say all. They legit just saw a rotting man come back to life and walk out of a tomb alive. Many, many believed. And then some went and tattled. Are you kidding me? Do you know how many times we said, well, if I saw a miracle, then I'd believe, really? I don't think so. Because the Bible shows that mankind is different. The hardness of a heart is miraculous. You literally could watch a dead man walk out of a tomb and still not believe. Literally, this whole time he's been showing them who he is, right? He has healed the sick, 
He has walked on the water. He's commanded the weather. You name it. He has fed 5,000 people with miraculous food. And then the minute they, they didn't like the sermon, they left. Like the hardness of our heart is amazing. It's not about signs. Yeah, the signs were given so that they would what? Believe. And many did, but all didn't. It is just amazing. That's when we go back to when the Pharisees say, why can't you speak plainly? Uh, it's not about clarity. I've been clear. It's about a hardness of heart. It is about the lack of belief. You believe and then you see. That's how it works. So it blows my mind that it says many believed and that it did not say all. And so they go and tattle. Let's see what happens. Do you just love this? I'm just getting in a better mood every second I teach it. Aren't you? Some of you that came in here all grumpy like me, this is just good stuff. <laughs> it says, so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Ooh, that gives me chills. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Wow. The council. Who's the council? Well, it's the Sanhedrin, yes. And the council is made up of Sadducees, who the high priest was a part of, the priestly line, the aristocrats, okay? And the Pharisees. Very different groups of people, okay? So get this in your mind. It won't seem so unfamiliar, I don't think. The Sadducees were more political than spiritual, incredibly liberal in their theology. They did not believe in the afterlife. They did not believe in angels or demons. They did not believe in the inerrancy of scripture. Matter of fact, they only held loosely the first five books of the Bible. They were the aristocratic families, which the high priestly line came through. The Pharisees were the conservatives. They were legalistic. They were more spiritual than political. They were both, but they were spiritual. They were pious. Uh, they did believe in the afterlife, the resurrection. They believed in angels and demons. They believed the entire Old Testament, the Tanakh, was inspired by God. They believed that to follow that, was the way to have relationship with God. They were two completely groups of people. And can I just tell you, they hated each other. But the only thing that brought them together was that they had a greater hate for who? Jesus. So interesting to me. The different groups of people. Ain't nothing new under the sun. So they bring a crisis to the council. I'm sure many of the council, especially the Sadducees, were very skeptical about the story to begin with. But whether or not the story was true or not, they knew that the rumors of this story, true or not, had the potential to rally the Jewish people in an enormous way to claim that Jesus was their Messiah and that by doing this, that they would try to make him their political Messiah and that there would be uprisings and riots. And the fact is that if the Romans saw this happening, they've had an attitude all along of you better handle your people because if you don't, we will. And so this group realizes, especially Caiaphas, um, I'm gonna tell you about in just a minute, they realize that if they don't do something, they're going to lose their nation and not only their nation, they said our place. What is that? What's our place? 
the temple, okay? They're gonna lose it. And here's the thing, this is prophetic because no matter what they do to try to control the situation, they're gonna lose it anyway. In AD 70, when the Romans do come, they miss their Messiah, but in AD 70, they come down and crack down on this Jewish revolt that is taking place, and they do destroy the nation like never before what was done to the Jewish people, and they demolish the temple, never to be rebuilt, by the way, because the, the, the glory of God will never again dwell in a temple made by man, because Jesus is the fulfillment of that temple. Destroy this temple, and three days later, I will raise up again. He is the temple, all right? And so he, he is speaking prophetically. Caiaphas had perfected his relationship with Rome. He has been the high priest for 18 years. And he has been the high priest and worked alongside Pilate for 10. So what do you think that looked like? It was a dance. Every day was a dance because he knew that in order for them to maintain their autonomy and their way of life and their religion, they had to dance with Rome. And he had learned to do that. He was a politician through and through. He may have had great motives as I am doing this because this is what's best for my people. I'm going to save their ignorant souls. They don't know what's best for them. I hate that attitude, can I just tell you? And we see it today, okay, in our politics, that we're just so dumb, we don't know what's good for us, so the smart people are gonna make the choices. And so here he is, and he has learned to dance this dance, and he's like, no, this is why we have to rule these people with a strong hand, because if they get out of hand, we are gonna lose everything. And so that is his relationship and especially during holy days, because holy days could really be <clears throat> a powder keg, because that is when they've been praying and they're remembering their history and the promise of a Messiah, and they're waiting for that Messiah to show up. And so there's a lot of tension. And so the religious leaders are always on the prowl in holy days. This is a serious scene that is happening. So he knew the potential and he was gonna nip it in the bud. So what does he say? Easy. He's like, let's just take care of it ourselves. Do you realize how chilling this is? Put yourself in the council. These two groups of people who are opposite of each other can't even have a conversation about anything and agree. They're all in a room now, closed doors. By the way, what's happening in Bethany? He just walked out of the grave. He's eating all the food from the potluck for his own funeral. They're celebrating. And while they're celebrating, there is a closed door council going on of two parties that hate each other. But what they do agree is they got, a, they got an enemy. This is a problem. And I see Caiaphas sitting in the back. This is just half power version. I see him in the back saying not much of nothing, sitting there thinking, listening to all the argument of what could happen, what they should do. This is what we should do. No, this... And all of a sudden, it gets quiet because he stands and speaks. And who's going to argue with the man that's held that position for 18 years? And he stands up. He goes, no, this is what has to happen. We've got to get rid of him. Because whether you all know it or not, it is better that one man die than the whole nation. <laughs> that's prophetic, right? That is prophetic. Here you have the high priest of the nation willing to sacrifice the son of God so he can live. Better he die than all of us is what he's saying. But the true high priest, what was he getting ready to do? He was getting ready to lay his life down to die for his nation. What an opposite scenario that is. The high priest decided to murder and assassinate someone because that is the best thing for the people in the nation. We got to nip this in the bud. I'm going to let y'all journal about that on your own. There's a lot to that. I'm just going to say ain't nothing new under the sun. I think we would be shocked at the corruption we don't know about. But his words ring prophetic. 
He's motivated by selfishness, power, arrogance, fear, but yet he speaks prophetic. Read John's commentary. Let's look at it again. 51, he did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one children of God who are scattered abroad. What is this saying? He didn't even know what he was saying. But because he is the high priest, the Holy Spirit was speaking through his mouth. It wasn't gonna be like he thought he was saying. It, it's not like he knew what he was saying, but what he spoke was true. The truth of God will be spoken, right? And it makes me laugh because it's not about the vessel. God can speak. We, in the Old Testament, we, God can speak through a jackass. <laughs> I don't know what to say about me in that scenario. But I'm, for real, if Balaam wasn't going to listen to God, when a jackass turned around and spoke to him, he had to listen then right? Then that makes me laugh when we sit back and we try to determine who God can speak through and who he can't. He can speak through whoever he wants. If someone messes up, we take off all of their sermons that they ever wrote or spoke of on the internet. You don't think God still, even when the man was struggling and falling and doing whatever, what you find out is that God still led people to Jesus through those sermons. There was still truth in those sermons, but right, but we're like, no, get rid of it. Get rid of it. It's no good. He had no intention to speak prophetic, but God spoke through him anyway. And I love this because do you remember how I told you that John writes like portraits? Okay, this is the last portrait. And guess what happened? We just saw the portrait and he turns and says, he don't even have a clue what he just said. He, because he's high priest, what he just said was prophetic. I know that now because, see, I've already seen the end of the story. Jesus is going to die. He's going to raise. But I'm just telling you, isn't that ironic that that's what he said, that one man should die instead of the nation? Uh, yeah, and that's what Jesus came to do. It cracks me up. That is what is happening in this chapter as he is turning around and giving us commentary. And this, in your mind, you should say, theme, theme, because when it says... And not just for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God. What was one of the themes in chapter one? I think I wrote down the reference. One, 11, and 12. But for those who, his own, he came into the world and his own knew him not, but for those who did receive him, he gave the right to be called what? Children of God. Do you remember when we were talking about also, I am the good shepherd in the sheepfold? Do you remember him saying, I have sheep you don't know about, but they're my sheep because they will know my voice. He's even saying that, like he was saying, and not just for the nation, not for just for Israel, but for all who believe. This section is amazing in its prophecy. It goes on to say, and from that day, they made plans to kill him. You see what happens in chapter 11? Everything does what? Changes. And now it's about to speed up. The hour is approaching. From that moment, they made plans to kill him. Jesus goes underground for a while. He goes to Ephraim, uh, which is about 12 miles north of Bethany. So he gets out of the fray, but he's still close enough because he needs to return for Passover. And he will, because he is gonna fulfill all the law and he is going to keep the time of the hour. But for now, he goes under, kind of underground with his people to prepare. That's like a movie, isn't it? The big battle's coming. What's always the scene before the battle? They back away, they're preparing, they're getting ready. And then he's going to move. We're going to, I'm going to give you some applications of this. But then he's going to move in closer to Bethany at the time of Passover. And that is a tense time because it is not a good situation in Jerusalem. And they know they're going in. That adds a lot to the scene. Okay. And so we're going to look at that. <clears throat> but is chapter 11 something? So much application. So many, hmm, things to think about in that, 
Don't let it go in one ear and out the other as just information you're learning. Sit with it. Go back to your notes. Go back through those and think all about that and let God, let the Holy Spirit, I apply my stuff to you, but let the Holy Spirit apply some of this stuff to you. And, uh, you know, take good notes and go back. And I, I would encourage you that by the time we hit summer, go back and listen. Don't, don't walk away and not do anything in the summer. Go back and listen and really sit with some of these scriptures. And let, because the power of the scripture is not just in gaining knowledge, but letting it flow through you and change you and come out. And I think this chapter is incredibly good at it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. And um, I love uh, the miracle of the scripture, not just what it teaches us and says, and it reminds us who you are and you are the resurrection and the life. You are right now. You are. And sometimes, God, the pain and the suffering and the separation I feel because of death makes me to where sometimes I'm so blind, I can't see that the resurrection and the life is standing right in front of me. That death is not the final victor. Lord, I'm thank you. I thank you that you conquered it. I thank you that there is a time of hope where the separation will be no more. I thank you that when you call us forward, it will be in a freedom, an air, a smell, a sight that we, we cannot even imagine to behold. So God, I pray that when we are in those times of whys or pain, that we will not forget that, that we have a glorious hope and a future in you. And Lord, to not spend so much time asking why, but more time saying for what end, because the end is gonna be beautiful. That cry, I can't, I can't imagine the celebration that we will have as we feast together. Lord, I thank you for what it does in our hearts and our spirit when we are in the word, when we're in a terrible mood, when we're scared, when we're anxious. The more time we spend, it just changes our attitude. So God, whatever the feeling is we have right now in this amazing time of studying the Bible, I pray that it would stay more than five minutes as we leave and that we will remember who you are and what you're capable of and that we can rely on you. I just so love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Mary Shannon Bible Study. Be sure to subscribe. Shannon also hosts the hilarious and heartfelt Mary Shannon's Table podcast, where along with friends, they chat about life, faith, and leadership. Check out the show now and subscribe. If you want to connect with Mary Shannon, go to Instagram at It's Mary Shannon or visit itsmaryshannon.com.